We're still in our series here, Christmas at the Summit. We're celebrating this. You see the candles, and we'll go into that a little bit more in that. But in the last, in the last few weeks, we've gone through this process of peace, joy, last week hope, this week love. And the message today is simply this, the incredible gift of love. The incredible gift of love. The big idea is very simple for me, and while it's not that simple, I really, you know, kind of working with this, what is the one thing for me? Because, you know, if, if I can get this right for me, and you know it's real for me, there's really a good chance it'll mean something to you. Does that make sense? But if I'm speaking to you and you're looking at me going, you know, that's a, I guess it's a good message, but I don't see it working in Chuck's life. I don't see it having any impact there or being meaningful to him then I've obviously missed it. So I, I really look at this as, what's this significant for me? And here's the big idea. Christmas time for us to celebrate the incomprehensible and unfathomable love of God to send His Son to earth as a helpless infant to save us, me. Leave that up for just a second. Christmas is a time for us to celebrate the incomprehensible, unfathomable love of God, that He would send His Son to earth as a helpless infant to save us, to save me. That's what we're celebrating, is that incredible love that very often is more than we can even comprehend, isn't it? We're going to go to our Scripture today. Our Scripture is found in the Gospel of Luke, starting in the second chapter, in the 1 through 7. It says this, In those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the inn. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. You know, as I said, during these past few weeks, we started with peace, and remind you that Jordan did just a great job talking to us about peace outside our circumstances. To find through peace, it's not going to be in our circumstances all the time. We talked about joy and the joy that is found in God Himself, and the true joy that is internal, not a happiness that's externally driven. And then we talked about hope last week, as I've shared with Pastor Phil, that was just extraordinary for me personally. And, and now we look at this process of the incredible gift of love. But I'm going to start by asking a question. I said first, a simple question, but it's not simple. Why is it so difficult for many of us to accept unconditional love? Why is it so difficult for many of us to accept unconditional love? That's really the question, isn't it, that gets us started? When we look at that and we look at the different things, right? I, um, have you ever felt when you say to someone or someone says to you, God loves you, right? 
that person or you look at them and you go, yeah, right. You know, it just becomes one of those things that, you know, we, we need to say that as a Christian. You know, something's going wrong in somebody's life and, you know, their whole world is coming apart. You know, and we look at them and we pat them and we go, you know, God loves you. And they're looking at us like, you, you, you really don't have a clue, do you? You know what the other side is? You don't have to raise hands. God knows who you are. God knows who you are. But how many times have you been in a struggle and someone says that to you, well-meaning, well-meaning. I'm not taking a thing away from that. And you smile at them and you thank them for telling you that. And then your first thought is, they don't have a clue what I'm going through. You know, it's that, yeah, right. I'm sure he does. Okay. So that's the first thing that we look at there. But the second thing that I, I had some, some questions about this, and that is, have you, have you never felt truly loved unconditionally? Have you ever had that where you've never truly felt loved totally unconditionally? That it wasn't something that you had to earn or be worthy of, right? Have you ever been hurt by someone who told you they loved you, but their actions did not reflect a love for you? Think about it. Somebody, and I think I can look back at my own life and things that things that have been done within my life and our family, things that I've done that I'm not proud of. We're not going to go into all of that because we have a limited time right now. But where you, someone has hurt you because they said they loved you, but what they did didn't truly reflect love as you knew and as you wanted it. Have you been hurt or disappointed by someone that you had the right to expect, that you expected to love you. And maybe it was a relative. Maybe there was something there. Maybe it was somebody close in your life. And because you expected them to love you. It was the right thing to do. But it didn't happen that way. Have you ever been told by someone that they love you, but their actions didn't reflect what you had expected from them the moment they said they loved you? You know, you got that. And someone says they love you, you know and I know that the mere statement raises expectations of a behavior to go with that, don't you? Every one of us knows that. If any one of us were to say, if I tell you, I love you. And I was, you know, part about this, it just kind of, I tell you, you know, in terms of the things that I work through on this. I think most of you, if you've been in this church, I think you've heard me say, I love Summit Church, and I love you, and I love being here. That raises an expectation of my behavior, doesn't it? Rightfully so, doesn't it? If you were to see me in a store, or you to see me someplace, having heard me say to you, I love you, I love being here, I love being a part of this, if I continue to tell you that, which I'm going to, by the way, because all the pressure's on me then to act like I really mean it. But doesn't it honestly raise an expectation with you about what my behavior should be as a result of me saying that to you? I can, Billy and I, we look at a marriage. We look at life, doesn't it? And it doesn't always work out that way, does it? 
But here's one of the issues. I have a good friend. His name is Gordon Dolby. Gordon Dolby is a counselor, psychiatrist. He lives in California. Haven't seen Gordon in several years. He and I had spoken, been on the same speaking team a couple of times at conferences. And, you know, he's one of these guys that he's so brilliant. It makes your head hurt sometimes, you know. But I've studied a lot and, of course, been with him as he spoke. And he's done research on our ability to love and be loved. Now, if you've read anything by him, you know most of his work has been centered or dealing with men. But there's so much about what he's done in his research, so much that he's seen there that it makes sense for all of us. It has significance for us. But here's one of the things that Gordon Dalby talks about. We often see our heavenly Father in the same manner we saw our earthly Father. Now, what that means is, is that our expectation of God, our image of God, is also, is often a reflection of what our real life image of our own earthly father was. In many cases, I can give you some examples for this. You know, if, if your earthly father was basically absent, it's hard for you to believe that there's a heavenly father that's ever present. And I say that, you know, my, my parents were divorced and separated several times and then ultimately divorced. And my dad was in and out of our lives. And before you think this is condemning him, my dad did the very best that he could. He was adopted and there was a lot to that. I, I've shared with you and I'll continue to share. He came to know the Lord a month before his 70th birthday. And he and I just wept. I know real men don't cry. You can get over that. Okay. If you're a guy that says real men don't cry, if you'll meet me in the parking lot afterwards, I'll take care of that disease, trust me. And if I can't do it by myself, Joe, guys, I got some help, trust me, real men cry. But when that happened, but it was this deal that my dad was in and out of our life. And so when somebody would talk to me about God being ever-present, right there in every moment, you know, that was a pretty difficult thing to comprehend. You know, if your earthly father was very critical of every detail in your life, everything. You know, like, you're not wearing those socks to church, are you? Oh, yeah, I am. She's looking around. Here, I'll move for you. Can you see him over here? There you go. I always watch. She's turning her head saying, could you move a little bit here? You know, I need the light of the candles to kind of highlight. Yeah, okay, we're good now, right? But, you know, if your dad was earthly father, just critical about everything, you could virtually do nothing right. No matter how good it was, you couldn't do anything right. You know, the research shows us that it's really hard with a heavenly father getting used to a God that says, no, that's not true with you. That's not true. I love you. And he knows he didn't make us perfect. He knows there's going to be mistakes. You know, on the other side, if, you're, if your dad was a, a big event guy, you know, the calendar was there, and if you were going to do something, yeah, you know, I got a championship game. Well, I didn't get to see any of the others, but I'll be there for the championship. You know, you're doing all of these other things, and he's just there as a big event. You know, research shows us that we feel the same way about God. He's kind of a big event God. He's not really interested in what I'm doing today. He's not interested in the day-by-day activities or, you know, the minor things in my life. He's just a big event God. And we find as we go through all of that stuff that we're confused. And the final thing is, don't raise your hands on this. I'll raise mine for you. How many of you ever felt that you just had to earn your father's love? That everything you did, if I could just earn my dad's love, 
talked to a young man one time. We were talking about it. It was really the Father's blessing. It was talking about the Father's love. But his comment was, he says, he said, I knew I was loved when I gave my dad bragging rights. You know, when dad could go down to the bar with the old boys and brag about his boy, then I knew my dad loved me if he could brag about me. But on the days that my dad didn't have any bragging rights, you know, all the other guys did, but my dad didn't, then I, I had to work harder for my dad's love because my dad's love really was a reflection of my ability to provide him something about me to be proud of. And let's face it, as great as any of us are, I say that facetiously, it's hard to give God something to be proud of every day of your life, isn't it? I mean, are we that perfect, that struggling to say, I, you know, every day my life is just doggone perfect, and I can make God proud of me. Watch this happen. And there's that process by which we earn or feel like we have to earn. Gordon Dalby made this statement, just kind of really grabbed me. The father of lies capitalizes on our shame and blackmails us into isolation, denial, and a host of bogus cover-ups. Just leave it there for a second. Let that soak in. We know who the father of lies is, don't we? We know that. And there's a battle going on in each of our lives, isn't there? We're being pulled both ways by this shame and this everything over here, by this true love, pure love that comes from God, and somewhere in between. That's where we live every day, isn't it? And this battle to live in the fullness of God's love for us. And you know, in those moments, we have a struggle or something there, and, I, and this just grabs this for me that the Father of life capitalizes on our shame. And it blackmails us into this isolation, this denial, and a host of bogus cover-ups that make sure it's not seen that way. He actually, the biggest lie of the father of lies is he wants to destroy the fact that God could actually love you just right where you're at. That's the biggest thing that Satan wants to do. He wants to destroy this idea that you were created in God's image, that God loves you. God's desperately in love with you. That's a crazy thought, isn't it? Can you actually imagine that? That God is desperately, magnificently in love with you. And that's what Satan wants to destroy. And you know, when I realized that it wasn't that I wouldn't earn, you know, even if I... I didn't have the capability to fully earn God's love. When a love is so great, think about what you have to do to earn that kind of love. There's a bunch of us guys sitting here that, with our wives trying to figure out, <laughs> what did we do to earn that? We're going to let that one go for another message, okay? But all you guys know who I'm talking to, don't you? But let's look at God's love for us. You know the Scripture that we always go to, John 3.16. John 3.16 says this, and this is out of the English Standard Version. He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I want us to look at that same Scripture from another translate, what's really the message. 
And there's something about this part of it right here. And what Eugene Peterson wrote coming out of this in the message, he says this, this is how much God loved the world. That's got a different take on it for me. You know, when I read it first, it says, for God so loved the world. I, I got that. I'm not making light of that. But you know, it's another thing when he says, now this, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why so that no one need to be destroyed. Because by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Leave that up for a second, because there's something to clear up in that. And that is, you know, very often people struggle with this idea of being a son or a daughter. And they'll go to this and say, you know, his only begotten son, right? Or here we read his one and only son, well, is that contradictory to the fact that I stand here and say, but wait a minute, you're a daughter of the king. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son, right? Get this. After Christ was crucified, the spirit of adoption came. The price was paid. Did you get that? And God tells us then, after that, Abba, Father, our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. Because of what Christ did on the cross, right, which was the intention of his actual birth, we now, in that moment that we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our spirit cries out then, Abba, Father, and we have sonship, and we're daughter, daughters and sons of the King. So it isn't contradictory whatsoever. All it does is it draws us closer to the fact of how much we need Jesus. As much as John 3.16 is a statement for us, it's also for me become a revelation. And this revelation is the revelation knowledge of the unimaginable divine nature of God himself. You know, you can't get to the point of understanding God's perfect love for him if he's an imperfect God, right? So we've got to understand the perfection of God in this divine nature that comes from a perfect God. We say divine nature. Remember this. The word natural or naturally comes from the word nature. So what we do naturally is because of our nature. So this wasn't this exception to the rule with God loving you. No, that's not the exception to the rule. That is the rule because of who God is, his nature. What he does naturally is loves us in a way that is so hard to understand at times of how God could actually do that. But yet, but yet, he does so when we look at this, I want to look at the word love and go a little bit deeper here. The Greek and the Hebrew, they have different words for love. You know, the, the, the tough part in English is we have one word, okay? Uh, we don't have four words that help us understand degrees of love relationship. But, the, but in the Greek and the Hebrew, we do. In the Hebrew, the word for love is ahab. It's A-H-A-B, ahab. And that tells us there, it carries this close, intentional, em, em, intentional, emotional bond. And we see the word throughout the Old Testament in the Hebrew writing, this word ahab. Then we have the Greek word agape, which is common both in the Septuagint and the New Testament. The Septuagint is the first Greek translation of the Old Testament that was written all in Hebrew. 
So when the Greeks then translated it, then that's where the word agape came in for their love. Aha, tells us this. And what this means is it's describing a love that's based on a deep appreciation, extremely high regard for the person. Now, let me just tell you, if that's what you have to get married with, it might be a bigger struggle in marriage than you thought. Because it's not marriage based upon just only, right, this deep appreciation and very high regard you have for the other person. Not making light of the importance of that kind of love properly, but that's not what God is using for us. And then the next Greek word for love is phileo. It carries this significance of a close relationship, affection, personal attachment. When you take that word and you combine it with the Greek word adelphos, it means brother. You can probably figure out Philadelphia is the word combining that, bringing them together to say the city of brotherly love. Now, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, there's parts of Philadelphia that aren't brotherly loving. Trust me on this, right? There's some dark places there. But that's what the city was named for, was this idea of brotherly love. Now we get to a new one, agapeo. You hear the word agape in that. So we've already got this, you know, this high regard, this affection and so forth. But when you turn agape to agapeo, a different word there, it carries a much deeper meaning. And here's what it says. God's love is described in the Greek word agapeo, which means unconditional love, preferential love that is chosen and acted out by will. It is not a love that is based on the goodness of the beloved, okay, or on a natural affinity or emotion. Rather, this is a benevolent love that always seeks the good of the beloved. So when we look at this word agapeo, and we use that in the context, which, by the way, is how God loves us. This is the word that describes God's love for us. Its idea is that, the very end, it's always for the good of the beloved, the best for the beloved. That a true love means, I'm not in this to get my best out of it. That if we do this right, but my, my seeking, this acapeo love, to have this kind of relationship, it means that what I want for that person in that relationship is I want the very best for them. I want the very best for them. I'm not in this to say, I, I just want my best out of this. And if you can't deliver that, then something's wrong in this relationship. What I want in this kind of love is the idea and the thought that, look, I love you so much, I want God's best for you. And I want to do what is necessary for God's best for you. And think about that when we use the word, my beloved, right? You know, it's a powerful definition. It tells us what agapeo is, but it also says what it's not. So when we look at this, the first thing that it tells us is that agapeo, it's an unconditional love, no matter what you've done or will ever do. Any of you struggle with that? Don't raise your hands. That was a real roadblock for me. We don't have time to get into all of the duns in my life that I felt separated me from a God that could love me with that kind of love, right? 
but it's an unconditional love that covers no matter what you've done, no matter what you do, the love is there. You know, I was, you know, I was thinking as a parent, first on behalf of my own mother, boy, I did some things. I can't remember a day that she didn't love me. How she did that, I do not know. Well, then I realized I did know because then we have children. You know, I was talking before the service of one of the guys, and I said, you know, one of the toughest lessons for me that as a father, I didn't do as well at. Sometimes I didn't do good at all at it. And I'm trying to do better as a grandfather, okay? But it's this idea that it's okay to be disappointed for your children because you, based on experience sometimes, can see where that's heading. The decisions they make, you can see where it's heading, and you can be disappointed for them because that's about the act and the this. That's totally dis different than being disappointed in them. And I, I've looked back as I've grown through some of this, and regrettably, some of my responses to my own kids, I think, showed a disappointed in them versus what was happening, the action, so that I could always stay loving to them the way that I wanted love from God Himself. And so no matter what you've done or what you do, God's given us a pathway on this that's pretty significant. Here's the second thing in that definition that's pretty powerful. God has chosen you as His very own. Did you know that? Did you know that that didn't come after you were born to see how you were going to act or turn out? He didn't wait to see if you had all your fingers or if there was something else before He decided to love you. He didn't wait till you were in high school or else or that and decisions you made and said, you know, I, I really do have the capacity for a great love, but I'm not going to waste it till I see how this turns out. You know, that's not God. Remember the divine nature, so what He does naturally? We talked about this a couple of months ago, that Father knew, our Heavenly Father knew you and blessed you even before you were created in your mother's womb. Do you know that's when He chose you? That's when God said, before He even created you in your mother's womb, do you know that's when God said, by the way, I'm choosing this one. This one here I choose. By the way, I'm choosing these two right here, and you, and you. You've been chosen. And it wasn't based on your performance. It wasn't based on Him getting a look at you to see. You know, this wasn't a tryout to see if you were worthy of the team. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was interesting. I, we have a granddaughter that... Uh, played lacrosse in high school, and pretty good at it. Um, she played four years on varsity, but she wasn't part of that, or at least in her mind, she always was in mine and Billy's, but that elite group, you know? One of them went to the University of Oregon, one that went to Penn State, all on full scholarships. And although she played, lettered, and got great time, she wasn't sure she was good enough, and as a result of some of that experience, she wasn't sure about playing lacrosse in college. She had had her eyes set on becoming a nurse since she was in seventh grade. But she went out and with her uncle in D.C. and went to a college out there at Maramont, met the coach there and a few of the players. And the coach said, you know what? Let me, uh, let me look at some of your films. So she sent her some films. The coach sent back a note and says, you know, you don't have to come to tryouts. You've got a roster spot. Well, guess what? 
You don't even have to send a few films of your performance. Of course, God sees them all anyway. You know, your potential, what you could add to the team and that. Do you know God chose you without looking at anything except He knew He created you in your mother's womb, and you were chosen by God, not just chosen, you were chosen as His very own. The fourth thing here is God acted on His agapeo love for each of us out of His divine nature. So here we have it. When you look at those, God's love is unconditional. He says, God chose you. And then not only that, God followed through. God made a decision to do something about it. He didn't just say, you know, isn't it enough that I've said I love you? Shouldn't that be enough for you to have a good life? I mean, what more could you expect other than someone just saying, you know, I love you, right? Well, we've already talked about it. We expect that to be followed by a certain type of action, don't we? There's got to be something there. You know, we say there's got to be a little meat on the bone here. There needs to be something else there. And that's what 316 is about, isn't it? I'll tell you how much God loves you. This is what God would do for each one of us, is that He would send His Son. Now, here's what it's not. Here's the other part of this. You know, as I started off about what keeps you from it, and then went to the good, this time we started with the good stuff. But I want to just say, let's, let's be realistic. In a definition like that, we understand agapeo, it is, it's not based on our goodness. I don't know about you. I know a few of you. I know a lot more of you. If this unconditional, unfathomable, unimaginable love of God, if that was based on us being good, don't raise your hand, but just ask yourself, would I have made the team on that one? Well, some days are better than others, right? But isn't it this issue that God's saying, this is and based on your goodness? I, I will tell you, I've I'd struggled with this for a lot of years of working to be good enough, if I could just work harder. And, and frankly, in September 1997, that, that, or not 97, in 1991, a defining moment for me by myself at the house when I literally was asking God, how do I become good enough? And God spoke to me with such clarity to say, Chuck, if you'll just accept Jesus, not as just your Savior, but as the Lord of your life. I've already made you good enough for everything. Isn't that a crazy thought? God has already made you good enough for everything. So it's not about something we have to earn. It's not about something that we think every day we have to start all over. So now maybe we can try to grasp the magnitude of the love of God, not just as our Creator, but as a Heavenly Father. I think, I believe that to grasp the magnitude of God's unconditional love and His unfailing love is intended to be one of the most daring, of, is the most daring adventures of a lifetime. Because when you know how much you are loved, what God created you for, if that doesn't excite you and launch you into a daring adventure, you're missing it. I want to share with you a quote from a great theologian, Tom Selleck. 
Hey, I watch Blue Bloods, okay? And Blue Bloods, you know, they the, the kids, and they're all so different. And there's this one scene where the youngest one is asking dad, Tom Selle, he says, how was it that you and mom was able to raise us kids? All of us so different. I mean, temperament, personality, and everything. Tom Selleck looked at him and he said, your mother and I believed that life was meant to be a series of daring adventures launched from a secure base. Life was meant to be a series of daring adventures launched from a secure base. That's Summit Church for me. I want this church to be a place that's a safe place, a secure place for you to launch daring adventures in the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to grow in His Word wherever you're at, whether you're with us for 13 minutes, 13 weeks, days, or years, wherever you're at, I want this church to be a safe place for you to launch daring adventures in the name of Jesus to know that's why God created you. At the early service, you know, last week we said goodbye to some families and to Joe, and this week I kind of went off script, and Jill and Eric were here. Most of you don't know Jill and Eric. They were here on Christmas Eve, we'll mark 13 weeks, because he's a traveling physical therapist, and they've made the decision to go back home, and they've got great plans, South Carolina. They just closed on their first house as a couple. But God entrusted them to us for 13 weeks. In that 13 weeks, Nana, Grandma came, an aunt came, a brother, a sister, all of them visited. They all got one service. And I've kept that heavy on my heart saying, I want them to get stronger no matter how long they're with us for daring adventures launched from a secure base. I think that's what it's supposed to be. I desperately, desperately want Summit Church to be that secure place for you. Your elders and your staff and your team, the dream team, do you know, and we had this conversation this morning, we want this to be the safe place for you to grow in God, all that God has for you. That's pretty significant, isn't it? That's what I want, and I desperately want that for you because I believe the most daring adventure you can ever have is to walk in the fullness of God's love, and that's going to release you to do what God's created you to do and called you to do. You know, last week when Phil spoke and Billy and I were here, I, I learned so much from people that God is using and is anointed. And He certainly spoke a word to us last week that was powerful. But He did something last week that really touched my heart personally. And that was, you know, He had time at the end. He said, before He prays, He is going to ask us to pray. And Billy and I were sitting right there. I'm going to ask you a question, and then we're going to lead into a time of just prayer, but you're going to have a chance to pray right where you're sitting just for yourself. And if afterwards, we're going to give you opportunity with our prayer team and things like that. But here's what I want to ask you, because I want to ask you, would you ask God this question? 
because I believe deeply that I don't have the answers for you. I know God's given me the ability and the opportunity to teach. I want to kind of be a catalyst and stir thinking in your heart and a relationship with God for you personally, right? But I believe the real answers you need will come from God Himself. So the biggest part is the teaching pastor here and as your pastor, I want to, I want to create a safe place for you to ask the tough God questions from God Himself. Ask those questions that God can answer for you. And so as we go into this time of prayer, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to give you just some things to think about and pray about. Would you ask God what's keeping you from living in and knowing the fullness of His unconditional, unimaginable, unfathomable love that He has for you? What's holding you back? What's the thing in your life that says, I don't know that I can actually believe He could love me that much. I don't know how to receive that based on what I've done. I've been hurt by other people. We can go through all of that, can't we? But you know what? God already knows that in your life. And God's asking, waiting, would you just talk to me about it? Because God Himself wants to tell you how much He loves you, more so than anything I could tell you here God wants to tell you how much He loves you, but He needs you to step into this and say, God, please tell me, what's keeping me? You probably already know, by the way. Sometimes it's just good to have a confirming word, isn't it? What's keeping me from walking in the fullness of your unimaginable love that you could have for a person like me? So what we're going to do is I'm going to start praying, but then I'm going to stop we're going to leave. Tyler's on the keyboard, and I'm going to ask you, would you just pray right where you're at? Afterwards, if you feel you want to go to the prayer team or the cross, I'm going to encourage you to do it. But this is sit right here and soak in it for a minute. And would you ask God that? What's keeping you from knowing the unimaginable, incredible love of God that's keeping you from the greatest daring adventure in life? Father, we thank you and we love you. Fathers, we come together as your family, your sons and daughters, your families. We're here. I pray for each person here, Father, and pray that, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would encourage them, that in their spirit ask you the question or even tell you what they're afraid of, what's keeping them from knowing you what's keeping them away from you and believing that you could actually love them that much. But I pray that, Father, we just create a safe place for every one of us to have a conversation personally with you. So, Father, for everyone here, would you just bow your heads, everyone here. This is your personal prayer time to confess what you already know or to ask God to tell you what's keeping you from the greatest daring adventure of a lifetime in knowing the unconditional love of Almighty God. Father, I pray that each one of us would continue this same conversation, Father, with you. That, Father, we would open the doors 
open our hearts to allow you to speak to us in all of the different ways to tell us how unconditional your love is, that we were chosen, there's nothing we have to do to earn it, and that, oh, what a daring adventure you have for each one of us. Father, we thank you. We love you. Oh, we praise you, Lord. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's family said, Amen.